Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I'm your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and a transformational coach for entrepreneurs, businesses, leaders, and for those who want to break the cycle of convention and redefine success one step at a time. I am on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week we have thought leaders, change instigators and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life and your business. I'm super excited about our guest. As always, we have the lovely Trisha Brooke. Trisha is an international award-winning director. She works in theatre, film, and television. In addition to her work in the entertainment industry, she applies her expertise to the art of public speaking. She's the executive producer of Speakers Who Dare, a TEDx producer. She choreographed Black Box on ABC, The Affair on Showtime, Rescue Me on Fox and John Tuturo's Romance and Cigarettes where she was awarded a Golden Thumb Award from Roger Ebert. The series Sublets won Best Comedy at the Vancouver Web Festival. She curates and hosts the Speaker Salon in New York, The Big Talk, an award-winning podcast on iTunes, and Trisha directs and produces The Big Talk Over Dinner, a new TV series. She was recently awarded Top Director of 2019 by the International Association of Top Professionals and her documentary, Right Livelihood, a journey to hear about the Buddhist chaplain at Rikers Island, won Best Documentary Short at the Olympus Film Festival, and Your Gorgeous, I Love Your Shirt, an inside look at bullying and mental health, has also won official selection at the Awareness Film Festival. Whew. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. Well, this morning we have the lovely Trisha Brooke, and it could be of an evening, depending on what part of the world you're at. So welcome to I Am Woman Project. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. Oh, it's a pleasure. I really can't wait to get into it. So the way that we love to start the show, we always love to ask a woman of inspiration, her unique story. So Trisha, tell us what inspired you to do what you do today? I grew up knowing I would move to New York City and pursue a career in showbiz. I was a dancer my entire life, knew that I would be moving to New York to dance with Barishnikov and on big stages. And at age 20, I did that exact thing. I moved to New York City, began to pursue my career as a concert modern dancer, worked with companies all over Europe. I danced at the Paris Opera. I danced at Lincoln Center in New York. Um, I worked in Prague and in Italy and had this incredible career as a dancer. And 
decided when I had fulfilled my career as a performer that I wanted to have a bigger effect. I had wanted to reach more people. And I realized my, my reach was limited to inside the theater to the number of people who were there. And when the dance was over, that's when it, my reach was over. So moving on from being a performer to a director, choreographer, writer, and producer was a natural next step for me. Um, it gave me an opportunity to nurture my actors, nurture my dancers, and really create a new culture around teaching and directing and mentoring. And so I was just doing my own thing, very successful in the, in the work that I was doing. And three years ago, a friend reached out and she said, I just booked a TEDx. I want you to direct me. And I thought, that sounds super fun, just like a one-woman show. I can do script analysis. We'll do choreography and blocking. I'll work with you like I do actors on intention. And that's what we did. And then it was over. And I thought, that was really amazing. Didn't think twice about it. And then she came back to me and she said, you should really do this. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I did enjoy being with her in terms of thought leadership and telling important stories and having um, – a stage to put someone on. And I realized in that moment that my entire career in showbiz had set me up to do this in this way, to nurture these speakers, to help pull out the content that they want to share with the world, just like I was doing with actors who were working from other people's scripts. And that is when I started the big talk the work that I do with speakers now. And it's only been three years. When I began the process of working with speakers, I had zero credibility in the space. I had zero online credibility. I was not on Facebook. I had a very small LinkedIn profile. I was not on Twitter. Instagram wasn't happening yet. I had zero online presence. So I thought, how am I going to step up to the challenge of what the universe is giving me as a gift right now? Well, I'll start a podcast and start talking about what I do. And the next thing I, I knew, I had 20 episodes, a bunch of speakers, no place to put them. But what I do is produce shows. And what's the best show for a speaker? TEDx. So I reached out to TED, applied for my license. I was granted my license, became the executive producer of TEDx Lincoln Square. I produced two years worth of shows sold out, standing ovations, had tons of amazing thought leaders and speakers sharing incredible stories, and realized I wanted more. So I moved on from being a producer and moved into being a coach, a speaker trainer, and then produced my own speaker event, which is called Speakers Who Dare. And it has become my mission to create and to mentor and to um, to hone an army of authentic heart-centered speakers who are communicating with dignity. And I'm using the skills that I learned in the world of showbiz. And here I am. Oh, I love it. We can we can go in many directions with this. So I'd love to, and I'm sure our listeners will too, what are some of the things that you teach some of your speakers? What are the, those common things that you must get right? You must understand that you can't hope you're captivating when you walk on stage. <laughs> we are human beings and we have things that happen in our daily lives that can affect our performance. If you think about Broadway actors who have eight shows a week, 
they can't hope to be in a good mood or in a great space or to be inspired that day when they go to work. It's a job, which means they have to rely on technique. You have to understand what you want from your scene partner, from your scene, and you have to relentlessly go after it because that audience is seeing the show for the first time, even if it's your 3000th time performing it, they need to believe and see and experience it for the first time through you. And that is why objective and action is so important in terms of presentation for speaking. The objective objective is what you want and the action is how you get it. And as human beings, we actually put this technique into practice every day without being conscious of it. If you want your partner to take out the trash, that's what that's your objective. How you get them to do it is by playing an action. You can seduce them, you could beg them, you could nag them. So your objective is to get them to take out the trash and your action is how you get them to do it. That is paramount to being an amazing speaker every single time. It's about relying on technique. Right. And then from a storytelling point of view, because I know for myself, like I, I also train leaders in speaking and it is what you were saying, it's heart centered. And what I always say is when you speak, like drop out of your head, because you can see that when they speak, they're in their head, they're trying to remember their lines. But when you drop your energy into your heart, and it's very similar to what you're saying, being heart centered, you're connecting with your audience with a different energy and it's coming from the heart. What are your thoughts about that? I think the rehearsal techniques and the being off book in a way that your talk becomes part of your cellular DNA, that is when you get to the place where you can absolutely talk from your heart. When you're speaking about the speaker who you know they're, they're, they can see the words in the frontal cortex, <laughs> they can see the words behind their forehead, that is because they haven't actually done the work to get past the point where they're over-memorized and now they can speak from the heart because those words are part of their DNA. And that's a threshold place that I talk about. Um, first, coming to the stage knowing that you want to serve people, that's going to make you heart-centered and heart-centric. But second, working on the talk to the point where it's rote memorization, repetition of bicep curls, and I call it the bicep curls. It's rehearsing the talk over and over and over again until you begin to hate it, and then you begin to actually fall back in love with it, and it becomes so much a part of you that it's all heart and that you're in the moment so fully that you are absolutely appearing as though you are having a conversation or channeling this information for the very first time. And it also gives the speaker the, the, the room, the freedom to play so that if an audience is responding in a certain way, they can go with it. They can lean into it and not forget or lose the words that they've taken such great time in writing. And what's your trick for remembering lines? Because I know I've done a few different um, courses and there's different uh, tricks out there. Like one of them was actually uh, doing a map of your home um, and then uh, around your home, like putting all their ornaments like tables, beds, vases, whatever that may be, and then putting pictures around those objects as a way to remember your storyline. What are your tricks to remember a storyline? That sounds so complicated to me. It was. <laughs> but I, it, it could it could work. I, I have done this my entire life. So memorizing choreography, memorizing lines, memorizing music is something that I've just been doing my entire life. What I now do with my speakers to help them is you you break down 
beat changes. So you memorize until there's a beat change. And then you go back and you, you keep working on that section until you have it. So you don't move on until you have it memorized. And then you move on to the next beat change. And once you actually have all of these beat changes memorized, then you pay attention to the transitions. So you really get clear and in your mind what those transitions look like so that you can smoothly go from beat change transition to new line to beat change to transition. And once you've got it memorized, then you do it everywhere while you're doing something else. You want to do the laundry and do your talk. You want to do the dishes and do your talk. You want to clean the house and do your talk. You want to work out and do your talk. You want to record the talk on a voice memo and play it in your car just like music. We memorize songs really, really quickly and they last with us forever because we're listening to them in the car while we're driving. So that is an important thing to do as well. And then something else I teach my speakers that comes directly from the theater is an Italian run through. Italian means as fast as possible. And this comes from uh, 18th century opera where they were just doing shows up and down and up and down and really, really quick over uh, turnover. So it means doing the talk as fast as possible without any emotion. So you just know that your synapses are firing and you understand which parts of the talk you don't you, you remember and you don't remember. And that is part of the bicep curls and part of the repetition that will get you to pass that threshold so you can completely open, be vulnerable and lead with your heart when you're on stage. Mm, I love that. Not that I've done that, but I do love that. What about storyline? How, how do you evoke a, um, an amazing story? What, what would be a technique? Like somebody's got an amazing story about their life, but how do you bring it out and bring it to life? The way I do that specifically with my speakers is through an active listening session. Many people come to me and they think, they believe they have their idea and they say, I want to talk about this. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to inspire all these people. It's going to make great change in the world. And I believe them. And then I ask them to go deeper. And an example of that is Kristen Smedley, one of the first speakers I ever worked with. I was not yet a TEDx organizer. And she said, I want to do a TEDx and I want to work with you. And I thought, great, let's just both put that out into the universe. And she came to me and she said, I want to talk about rare eye disease. There's a very um, unique retinal disease that is passed on through genetics, and it's very rare. And I happen to have three children. Two were born with it. So she started a foundation 16 years prior about this rare eye disease, and she wanted to talk about it. She wanted to bring awareness. And I thought, okay, I support this. It's very, it's great. We definitely want people talking about this. However, I don't have kids and I don't have blind kids. So why is this important for me? And this is about context, which I'll get into in just a second. So after we did the, the active listening session, I said, okay, Kristen, your idea is actually not about rare eye disease. It's about how you learn to see the world differently through the eyes of your children. And in terms of her story, how we started it was she opened the talk with images of people doing incredible athletic feats, like climbing big mountains, <laughs> surfing, riding horse horses, doing incredible, incredible athletic feats. And she said, what do all of these people have in common? They're all blind. And then she went on to tell the story of when she learned her first son was diagnosed. Her first son was born blind and she thought her life was over. And then she had her second son and she couldn't believe it, but they passed on the gene to him as well. Oh my gosh, how is this possible? 
and then they they made the the decision to go for a third child and her the third child her daughter was sighted and then along the way she's learning okay i'm actually paying more attention to my sons what's going on with my daughter and then at the end she comes to a realization that she learned to see the world differently through the eyes of her children, not just her blind sons, but all of her children. And she ends this talk with images of all of her kids doing amazing things, surfing, playing soccer, skiing. What all these people have in common? They're all athletes. They're all athletes. So she started off by showing us all of these amazing people, what do they have in common? They're blind and they're still doing amazing things. What do all these amazing people have in common? They're athletes. So that is the importance of story is finding your way in to a personal story that can, can connect to a global community. And that's why context is so important. You want to always ask yourself, why is this idea important? Why is it important to me? And why is it important to the world? For Kristen, the idea was important to share to bring awareness. It was important to her because she had three kids, two were born with this disease. And it was important to the world because when you teach the world how to look through the eyes of someone else, we can create instantaneous compassion and empathy. Mm. Trisha, I'm thinking that you could actually even use this technique with marketing because it is all about storytelling when somebody's got a product or services. And I think that kind of ties in as, as you're speaking about, it, I'm thinking like that would tie in nicely with marketing as well. Like how do people tell this story about their brand? Right. Well, Donald Miller has this market uh, captured. I mean, he's a, he's a brilliant storyteller with marketing and he's all about, you are not the hero, you are the guide. So it's, you have to show up as Yoda and teach Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, so true. So, so true. And so, so once they've got their storyline and it's a matter of just practicing it, so they're recording themselves, is there any other techniques that you take them through? I definitely take them through choreography and blocking. I mean, I'm a dancer. So understanding the importance of stillness. So many speakers are afraid to stand still. So many speakers are afraid to wait. And that is something that I absolutely teach all of my speakers is that when you ask an audience to wait, when you use the action, you will have them in the palm of your hand. And that's something that I learned as a dancer. I knew how to captivate an audience. I knew how to get what I wanted from my audience by moving. I never spoke until after I let Steph stop dancing. So I think it's really important for speakers to understand the power of movement and to understand that it's important to actually choreograph your speech. And I know a lot of people feel like they want to just get on stage and do what, what feels right in the moment. And I'm not suggesting you choreograph arm movements or hand gestures, but I am suggesting you understand when you are on stage, why you're center, why you're stage left, why you're stage right. Whether you are a shifter, a thigh slapper, a hip sitter, a meanderer, a pacer, those are speakers we have all seen and they're not conscious of moving. So they're doing unintentional movements that distract the audience from what it is they're saying. So that is something that I teach all of my speakers. 
So you're saying that the because it's true. I agree. Sometimes you can have distractors because of the way they move. That could take you away from listening to the talk itself. So you're saying your part of the choreographer is them or the choreography is them standing still on stage and having like almost like anchors on stage depending on what they're talking about whether it's a kind of a left brain or right brain thing is that how you do it it's more like knowing why to move when if i walk out on stage and i want to start center so that i can ground the audience and really take command of that location take command of that audience that's a conscious choice and when i have a new thought the people over here might might need to hear it. So I will I will scan the room and speak to everyone, but the people over here may need to hear it. So I'm going to walk over there and I'm going to get close to them and I'm going to be intimate in that moment and I'm going to share it with house right. And then you know what? I just got an energy hit from everybody who's in house left, which means I'm going to walk over to stage right and I'm going to talk to these people over here. And you know what? If I If I have something really important to say, I'm going to walk to center in silence and then I'm going to deliver it when I land. That's what I mean about intentional movement. Mm, so it's really going with the energy of the room. Energy of the room and the energy of your script. Mm, love it. Love it. So during your most amazing adventure, Tricia, what, have, what has been one of the greatest lessons learned thus far? One of the greatest lessons I learned is that I was living as an unconscious competent for many, many years. And until I literally got a download from the universe to a question I never asked, I was living with um, grit, discipline, and raw talent, not knowing that I could become conscious and have even more to offer the world. And what I mean by that is I was sitting in my kitchen and I got a download, you have to move. And anyone who knows anybody who lives in New York City, if you have a good apartment, you don't move, you stay there. <laughs> but I, I knew I had to move because I had to expand. And I didn't ask how or why, I just listened. And this was in October of 2019. And my hope was that my husband would move with me. <laughs> So literally in two weeks, I had a realtor and we started looking for apartments and we moved in December, middle December of 2019. So I could start my new life with what I knew was possible in 2020. And that is when I really started working with um, quantum physics, the universe, opening myself up to what was possible and realized, oh my gosh, I have been unconsciously competent until this point in my life. And when I became conscious and started trusting what was possible for me and for my clients without seeing it or knowing how I was going to get there, everything changed. And this also was directly related, Catherine, to me saying out loud, I'm going to make the world a better place and not, not being small, not making that small, not hiding behind that, not being embarrassed by saying that. That's a pretty grand statement. But I truly believe I am going to make the world a better place by supporting these thought leaders and these speakers and anybody who has an important message because that ripple effect now more than ever is needed. And the global impact and the, the culture of conscious humanity needs people who can speak. And so that was one of the biggest moments that I learned in the last two years. Mm, I love that. And I'm loving, 
Me too. I'm becoming more a conscious soul and my purpose is to raise the consciousness of the individuals to help raise the consciousness of the planet. And it is one of those things that when you're really clear about your purpose, I think it makes things a lot different on how you go and approach, uh, you know, whether it's for, for you. What would be, if we were to, to look at you, the move, uh, because you had that calling, what's different about what you do now? What's different about what I do now is that I call in people who want to make the kind of difference that I make. I have raised my vibration and my frequency to a completely new level, which means I'm calling in the speaker, the colleague, the mentor, who is also you, who is also living at this higher frequency, because we have a lot of work to do. And it means we have to get busy. We have to be highly productive. We have to show up 150% and we have to crush it every day. And that is not something you can do at a lower frequency. That's not something you can do from an apartment that doesn't have a lot of light. It's something that I now do from this apartment because I have windows that bring energy in and out. There is flow. Right. And how do you yourself lift your vibrations? Everyone does it in a different way, but what do you personally do? I wake up at 4 a.m. every morning. I write in my big book, of gratitude and then I design my day. I literally write down what I want my day, my day to be. And that is usually full of ease, joy and productivity and service. And then I work out and then I meditate and then I begin to serve my clients. Mm, I love that. So when you design your day, like talk us through that. Is that like you've got a a diary from a, with the hours each day and you block out what you're going to do? Is that how you actually design your day? No, the the calendar is separate from how I design the day. I design the day in a way that I that it will make me feel and that will bring abundance. So I say to today I will have ease, joy, and abundance. I will laugh a lot. I will be surprised by something and I will receive joyfully $50,000 <laughs> and I get really specific, Catherine. And m many times I receive all those things. I design the day that I actually have and many times it will happen a week or two later. So I get really, really specific and back to the universe. When you are specific with the universe, that's when things come to you. That's when the gifts come to you. The universe can't give you what you desire unless you are clear with what it is. And so you ask for $50,000 a day and you get your $50,000 a day. Not always, but sometimes. No. Oh, that's amazing. Because, you know, it reminds me of um, I, I'm big on vision boards. So I, every single year I create a vision board. And one year I said to my husband, I've never asked for money. I'm going to ask for money. And I put money on my vision board with the the money tree, all of that stuff. And and funnily enough, like literally a couple of months later, I received a, a letter from New York, believe it or not, but back then I was doing a lot of work in the US, saying that I, I inherited money. And it was the money I put on the vision board was, I can't remember, it was like say three three million, I wrote down, three million two hundred and fifty-five. And this check was made out like for two million uh, $256. Like we're talking about a dollar off, right? And I was like, That's wow. incredible. And so 
But what happened then, I looked at my vision board and I thought, why is it coming from New York? And I realized the notes on my vision board were all American notes, not <sighs> notes from Australia. This ended up being a, a, one, a, one of those fraud things. But regardless, it was interesting how specific and you have to be very clear when you set these intentions out to the universe that you have to be very specific and you yes. have to believe it that you can do it. Absolutely. Last year, I put on my my vision board that I wanted to win best documentary film for a short that I that I wrote, produced, and directed. I didn't say I hope it does well. I hope people like it. I wrote I want to win best documentary short, and that's exactly what happened from the Olympus Film Festival. Many others, but I won best documentary short, and that was because I got specific and I desired it and I believed it because this movie is going to help people. Mm. Yeah, and words are very – like conscious language is important. The words that you use, like you just said, it's not I hope because you're living in hope. It's like you're lacking. Uh, it's It's got a, a – it sounds like you are lacking the very thing that you are asking for or I wish – or I want, you'll always be left wanting. You have to speak in a conscious, um, as if it has already taken place. Yes, in gratitude. Thank you. I'm so thankful that I have the $50,000 coming my way. I'm so thankful that I'm going to win an Academy Award. I'm so thankful that we're going to get through this pandemic and things are actually going to be better than we could have imagined. That is why we need to be always in gratitude. You're absolutely right, Catherine. So true. And, you know, I think once again, it is with what is happening all over the world, it's how we choose to see it. And I agree. I believe that, uh, yes, it can be scary. I'm not I'm not doubting that one minute. But I think it's what we do with it. You know, as we were talking before, I don't watch the, the, the news. I don't read the newspaper. I don't listen to the radio. But if I need to find out anything, I'll go into a government website to see what's going on in case I need to change my ways of working. Um but it is how we choose to see it because I think you're right. There's going to be – there's something better that's going to come out of all of this. We're going to be different. Yeah. We are. We're, we, and we're different now. And I think that that's why being so conscious of maintaining a forward momentum right now is really, really important. And I, I've been talking about leading with gratitude, making sure you're building relationships, understanding how important innovation is, and always having empathy, especially right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for you, Tricia, how does that change your ways of working? Because I mean, I know for myself, we're really looking at virtual classrooms and virtual talks, virtual everything. What What's, what's the shift in your business now? I work with speakers virtually all the time. And what I've noticed is People need to speak and want to speak and have their voice heard more than ever. What happened recently was March 24th, just a few days ago, uh, the the speaker Speakers Who Dare was supposed to happen in New York City at the Triad Theater on 72nd Street. And on March 18th, Broadway closed all the shows. So the theaters went dark and we went from that happening to, all right, venues that are 500 or more are shut down. And then... 50 people 
and then 10 people. So I had to really think about what I needed to do to support my speakers and to make sure that they felt heard and that the audiences could receive their talks because right now we need the the inspiration that we can get. And so the first move that I made was going from live to live stream. So I removed the audience from the theater. We gave refunds to everybody and we said, we're going to live stream. It's going to be a six camera shoot. I make movies, so I know how to do this. And then things started changing even more rapidly. Bars closed, restaurants closed, all theaters, any public gatherings were no longer an option. And I was walking outside on Sunday and we had tech rehearsal scheduled for Monday. There was a cocktail party, there was networking, all the things. And I just thought to myself, I need to think, I need to go deep here and think about making a decision that's going to serve people and not be based on my ego. And I thought, I don't need to cancel it and I don't need to, to postpone it. I need to innovate. I'm going to make a feature film and I'm going to have my live stream tech person stream the movie from his home. So the first thing I did was reach out to him. Can we do this? If I edit a film together, can you live stream it from the comfort of your own home and the safety of your own home? And he said, sure can. So the next move I made was reach out to the speakers and say, all right, we went from a hundred people seeing your talk in that theater to a global community of people who are going to be live streaming the live event. And now you're all movie stars. So let's have you send me videos of your of your talks and I gave them in I gave them each individual direction so that they're not standing in front of a camera. I actually gave them all individual directions so they could create mini movies. I cut it together and it was live streamed on Tuesday to a massive like 15 countries. Wow. So I had to get really quickly I had to innovate and get creative and for me that is so valuable in terms of my business. I would not have been pushed to think that way had I not been a position in a position of having to pivot. And so I am in such gratitude with how to show up for my speakers, how to show up with global communities in terms of providing content and information so that they can be inspired during this pandemic. That's amazing. Congratulations. And how did you reach out to 15 countries? What was the the kind of behind the scene to get that happening? We didn't have much time because this all happened um, on, they, they gave me their movies within four days and I cut it together in two days and then we went live. So all we did was promote on social media and all of the speakers shared and that's how we did it. Wow. That's amazing. Wow, wow, wow. And it is, it is, I think it has really called on us to be, uh, innovative, like you said, and creative and come up with new ideas. Yes. And that's why this forward momentum is so important right now. This is not about stopping. This is not about being blocked or allowing fear to get in the way of your massive mission. And you and all of your listeners, I know, have a mission and a purpose. Mm -hmm. This is about leaning into this, being compassionate and knowing that everything we're doing right now is going to bear fruit later. Yeah, so true. Absolutely. The other thing, Tricia, that we love to us, uh, our woman of inspiration is about pain points. We believe everybody's got pain points. What would be a pain point or some pain points for you that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, whether it's life or business? And how do you work through finding a solution to your pain points? 
I think a pain point for me is not doing enough. Am I doing enough? Am I supporting my speakers enough? Am I doing enough research so that I come to the to the meeting with enough information to support them? And that is really about me trusting that I'm always showing up 150% and that I'm always fully present. And I think that's something that I am always uh, working on for myself. Pain points for my clients is always, is my idea interesting? Does anybody care what I have to say? And who am I to be the one talking about it? And that's what I'm always dealing with with my speakers. Mm, I love that. And and I guess going off, uh, off that, when you're thinking or uh, when we look at a speaker, sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, um, you know, such and such, Catherine, she'll never be a good speaker. Can you uh, train someone if they're too scared, they're not good with speaking, they're not good with language. Can you actually turn that around for an individual? I'd like to say yes. And the reason why is because I've seen it happen in action. One of my speaker salon members who is a vegan and an animal lover, he is terrified to step on stage and he's extremely shy. So he has both of those things working for him, I guess. So he gets on stage and he shakes and he makes a face, his uh, his brow furrows, and he literally is so uncomfortable that he makes everyone else in the room feel terrible. So I said, I really want you to think about the fact that you need to be the voice of these animals. And his first talk was about going vegan and why eating plant-based is better for you and all the animal stuff. And then he went into why buying vegan clothing is better. And then he went into and why not watching movies that have animals in them is better. So he is super, super, super animal centric. He has such a deep love for animals. I said, you have to be the voice of those animals. Now that helped a little but it wasn't enough. So what I made him do at the speaker salon was an action. And what I mean by that, Catherine, is I put a bunch of stuff on stage, brooms, stools, chairs, paper. I just cluttered up the stage. I made it completely messy. And I said, I want you to give the talk and I want you to clean up the stage. And the second the talk was his secondary thought he became an incredible speaker. And that is why I think it's important to know that you can move past that fear if you have something to do and if you are speaking about the idea and you get you stop thinking about yourself. You take it away from yourself and you make it about the idea. So how then, when it came time for him to perform, did you still have things on the t- on the stage for him to – was that part of his choreography? <laughs> no, but I might do that sometime. I love that idea. Uh, no, he had worked through those nerves because we did that over and over again. So right. back to the repetition of rehearsal. That is really cool. I'd never heard of this before. That's very, very cool. And that makes sense because if you are consciously – because a lot of the times people are nervous because they think about – they're, they're, it, they're, they're getting themselves in their way. You can see it's like, what, 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 I don't want to make a mistake or I don't want to use a filler word or, I, I, you know, you can just almost like see the thinking or the words or the language coming out of their brain like a bubble. Yes, yes, you certainly, you certainly can. Mm. So what do you think is one skill that every speaker must have, one skill? Literally being able to take off the persona of speaker and be human being. Yeah. 
I think that's the one skill that many speakers miss. Um, And I'm not saying you can't be a performer. I, I love performing, but it's also about being that vulnerable human being that can connect to an audience and really pass on that information. Mm, Yeah, I love that. So as we start wrapping up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. So Trisha, what would be that one word for you? It's hyphened. Is that all right? (laughs) Sorry. Limitless, limitless creator. It's a hyphenated word. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Limitless. Absolutely. And the last question that we also uh, ask our woman of inspiration is to share three shiny golden nuggets for our listeners today. So what would be three practical exercises that you would like to leave for our audience today? That we can all be limitless creators when you believe, when you take action, and when you stop asking how. And I can promise you that your body will betray you. Your body will have a physiological response when you step onto that stage. So you must rehearse under mild stress, increase that stress, and increase that stress even more so that when you deliver that talk, you can still have nerves and get through it. So that's, is that the third one or is that the second one? And the third one is when you keep your story and your message to yourself, you're actually preventing the one person from hearing it that needs to. It is your responsibility to take a big stage. So I love all three, but how do you rehearse under pressure? Mild pressure might be your partner. And then you increase that pressure a little bit by your colleagues. And then you increase that pressure a little bit more by maybe inviting a group of people that you don't know. Mm -hmm. And when you are increasing the the stress and you understand that when you start to sweat or your knees shake or your hand is shaking or your mouth goes dry, that you can actually still deliver the talk. That's where you're going to start to build that confidence. Mm, I love it. Thank you so much. So Trisha, where is the best place for our listeners to find you? You can find everything about me at trishabrook.com. I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. We will have all of that with the show notes. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. We've never had somebody that really unpack um, how to be a speaker, so I'm sure that our listeners will reach out to you. Thank you so much for your time and your energy. Amazing. And I'd love to offer your your guests uh, a seven-step formula to fearless speaking. They can just text my name, Trisha, T-R-I-C-I-A, to 44222. Oh, thank you. Thank you so, so very much. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes or please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit the subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, 
please send us an email to support at katherineplanner.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Until next week, wishing you a fabulous day.